bless the Lord. Turn with me. We have a reading and we have a text. Turn with me to our reading this evening, John's Gospel, chapter 19. Beginning to read at verse 13, and we will take two portions out of John chapter 19. John 19, beginning to read at verse 13. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in the place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him. Crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others smote him on either side, one and Jesus in the midst. Now let your eye run down for time's sake to verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. And when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The Jews therefore, because it was the preparation that the bodies should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was in high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and broke the legs of the first and of the other, which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was dead already. They break not his legs. And one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith came there out blood and water. Turn with me to Leviticus, please. Leviticus chapter 17. Leviticus chapter 17. We have a couple of verses, but one we want for our text this evening. Our reading was John 19. Verse 10, And whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel, or of the stranger that sojourn among you, that eateth any manner of blood, I will even set my face against that soul that eateth blood, and I will cut him off from among his people, or destroy him in other words. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Our text there is in verse 11, the last line, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement 
for the soul. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Eternal Father, we ask you now that you would make real to us the preciousness, the purity, and the power of the blood of your Son. We ask you, Lord, to take scales from off our eyes that we may behold great wonders and that we may see further, Father, than we've ever seen before. If there's one in this place that isn't saved, that has never come to bow the knee to thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we are conscious of your anointing, that you're here in our midst. We ask you, Lord, that you would speak to them and let them see the Lamb of God hanging and dying in their room instead. Great substitute for the sinner. We worship you, and you are magnificent. We ask it all in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. In the past week here in Northern Ireland, I'm sure it's been hard to escape, whether it's even maybe across the UK into the Republic, there has been the blood screening debate on radio, newspapers, television, everywhere you go. It was to do with a blood screening debate that it was our health minister said that he was to keep the lifetime ban on homosexuals uh, giving their blood to be blood donors for the sake or the risk of further contamination and, of course, being passed on to other people. That is because the rest of the UK, England, Scotland and Wales have lifted this lifetime ban and put it to a 12-month ban for an homosexual gay person to give blood or to donate blood. So the debate continued all this week, but we are told to remember that in the United States and in Canada and in most of Europe, they still hold to the life ban on such happenings. And also from the blood transfusion service and other medical professions like them, they say that 100% purity in blood is impossible. It's impossible to be cleansed. It's impossible when it's screened for all different variations like HIV, hepatitis A, hepatitis B, and various illnesses that could be protracted and taken from the blood, it's impossible to screen and to guard every single case, for some may even slip through. Now, my, my message tonight is not to get into the idea or the political debate of whether or whether not. That's for another evening, for another topic. But what I want to show you tonight is the blood that is spoken of in the Bible. I want to speak of what God's Word says about blood. The Bible pattern throughout Scripture speaks of a bloodline, a scarlet thread, it's been called, that runs through from Genesis to the book of Revelation. Theological teachings known as the law of the first mention causes us to go to the book of beginnings the seedbed of the Bible. That is the book of Genesis. 
In Genesis chapter 3, we have the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. Adam transgresses the law and commandment of God. And man, Adam's race, falls in the garden, becomes a natural sinner. It's called the sin that is the origin of our sin or of the being that we are, the nature of our sin. It's called original sin. It comes when Adam sinned in the garden, not adhering to God's word, not adhering to God's law, and not adhering to God's command, and taking, as it were, off the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In Genesis chapter 3, we're told that the serpent comes. We looked at it a little this morning. But the serpent comes and, and he beguiles the woman and the woman offers to the man. And the fall comes. By the time we get to Genesis chapter 4, we're told of Adam and Eve. Now they have two children, Cain and Abel. We all know the Bible story, I'm sure, how Cain comes with premeditated murder in his heart. Genesis chapter 4, if you'd like to look at it with me this evening. It says in verse 1, And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Wouldn't you think that he would be such a godly man? If she had gotten a man from the Lord? But really the rendering is here, Eve thought she had received already the Messiah, the Christ of God. The reason being for in Genesis chapter 3 and in verse 15, the Lord smites the serpent to the ground. And he says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman between thy seed and her seed. And he says, it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. So here this woman thinks that she has received the Redeemer. She thinks already her firstborn she has received the God-man, the Messiah. How wrong she was. How greatly mistaken she was to think that of Cain. For we're told that Cain was a wicked one and he was off that evil one. Here we have Cain with his brother Abel. And Cain gets into his mind and into his heart premeditated murder. In verse 8 we're told of Genesis chapter 4. And Cain talked with Abel his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him or killed him. Now the term here where Cain talked with Abel his brother and it came to pass they were in the field. Actually, the Hebrew rendering gives the idea that Cain talked Abel into coming into the field with him in order to execute predetermined and premeditated murder on his brother. Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. Look at verse 9 of chapter 4. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel? thy brother. The Lord comes and says, where is Abel, thy brother? Now the Lord knew where Abel was. It's like when Adam and Eve had sinned and God came in the cool of the day crying, Adam, Adam, where art thou? 
And Adam and Eve were hiding. They had covered themselves with aprons made of fig leaves. It says we were hiding. I'm paraphrasing for time's sake. We were hiding when we heard your voice because we were naked. And the Lord came and says, who told you you were naked? The age of innocency had gone. The age of purity was done away with. For they had rebelled against the Lord and bowed to the will of the serpent. And here the Lord says, where art thou, Adam? God knew where Adam was. God knew the exact place where Adam and Eve were hiding. And why would he cry, where art thou? He wanted Adam and Eve to come out and to admit their guilt and their sin before him. And repent that they may receive the forgiveness. God comes to Cain and he says, where is Abel thy brother? God knew where Abel was. Abel was lying dead in a field. Whether he was buried dead in a field, under a bush in a field, hidden in a thicket in a field, God knew where Abel was. But God was calling Cain. Say, Cain, come forward and tell me what you have done. Brothers and sisters, this might be hard for some people to accept, but I hear sometimes, oh, I forgive those who've done this and that against me. You might have it that you want to forgive them, but they cannot receive forgiveness until they have repented of all that they have done. God says, come and repent before me. And Cain repented not. He says, am I my brother's keeper? Is there someone here tonight and you know you're not right before God? Is there someone here tonight and you know you're not saved? And the Lord calls you in in the heart deep within you. And the Lord says, come and repent before me. Come and tell me that you're a sinner. Come and turn from your wicked ways and I will save your soul. I will forgive you. Yet others will say, am I my brother's keeper? And turn away from the Lord without Repentance Until sin is repented of, and until sin is confessed, it cannot be forgiven. First 10, he said, the Lord said, what has thou done? The Lord knew what he had done, giving Cain another chance. Shows the inherent nature of this man, Cain. What have you done, he says, and Cain would not own up to his own sin. Old A.W. Pink, Arthur Pink, he said this was innocent blood shed by wicked hands. Now I agree with him to an extent. Abel's blood was innocent in the fact that it was innocent against his brother. It was innocent in the fact that he didn't deserve to die the way he died by the hands of his brother. It was innocent in the fact that we're not told that he'd done anything untoward to Cain. He was innocent in the fact when you look at it man to man. But let me remind you that Abel was a sinner. But Abel built an altar. Abel was a sinner. Because Abel had his father's genes. Abel had that inherent evil nature within him. And Abel, even though he built altars, His nature was depraved. You know what the depravity of human nature is? Not that you seem to sink so low, for there's some people and they're really nice and good and pleasant and churchy. 
that the poverty of human nature really is your inability to save yourself. There's not one of us in here tonight has the ability to save our own soul. Not one of us. Abel was innocent in many ways, but still a sinner. He cries on, his blood cries out to the Lord. The Lord says, that thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. See the word crieth? It's a Hebrew word, sochach. And it concurs with the New Testament in Luke chapter 18 and in verse 7. The Lord Jesus speaking to his disciples, listen to this. He says, and shalt not God avenge his own elect which cry unto him day and night. In other words, he's saying, those who are on their knees crying for the Lord to have mercy and to help them, he says, God will avenge them or protect them. Gives the same idea as you crying unto the Lord for mercy. In fact, the word cry here, the, his blood crieth unto the Lord. It gives the idea to shriek, to proclaim. And listen to this, it gives the idea to cry or crying in order to be righted. There was an injustice. Abel's blood was shed unjustly. And it cried from the ground unto Yahweh. And Yahweh heard the cry of the blood. Listen to Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. John writes, And I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God, and for the testimony which they held. They seem innocent, don't they? They seem just, don't they? Yet they're sinners saved by grace. And listen to what it says in verse 10. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Now here's the thing, brothers and sisters. God sees everything. Every injustice that's been done in Ulster, God has seen it. Every innocent blood that's been shed, God has seen it. And God will require it one day, according to Scripture. Now listen to this. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 15. That which hath been is now. And that which is to be hath already been. And God requireth that which is already past. Now that sounds like a conundrum. Let me just give it to you again. Proverbs 3 and 15. That which hath been is now. And that which is to be hath already been. And God requireth that which is already past. There's a Hebrew scholar called Samuel N. Cook. And I quote from him on this verse. Listen to what he says. The Hebrew construction here gives the idea of pursuing with the idea of catching. The past ages of wrong seemingly fled from us and forgotten. Escape forever shall be called up again. There must be a righting of all the wrongs. You see, from the birth of the church, as we know it, the body of Christ in the day of Pentecost, Do you see through the Caesars that fed the Christians to the lions? Do you see from not only pagan Rome, but through the Spanish Inquisition and papal Rome? 
Do you see all those that were burnt at the stake at Smithfield and those who had their heads cut off for the word of God and the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ? Their blood still cries unto the Lord. And do you see men who are unrepentant murderers in our government? The blood that they shed still cries unto the Lord. And it will be requited of the Lord. See, little children that have been taken away by pedophiles, the Lord will catch up on them. Do you see the man has taken the woman and, and raped her and abused her and taken her and murdered her? The Lord will catch up on that blood. Everyone will stand before the Lord and the Lord will pursue with the, with the, the, the act of catching. People think they've gotten away with it. It's just not the day yet. It's just not the day yet. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 10 says, The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. Now listen to Hebrews 12 and 24. It says, And to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling, that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Now the common thought here by many people is that we compare the blood of Abel with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me say this, and I say it without fear or favor, there is no comparison. The idea here is that Abel's blood, they say, cries from the ground as we have talked, and it does. And they say, so how much more will the blood of the innocent, the Lord Jesus, who was, who was slain for our sins, cry unto the Lord? And it does. And it will. And people will stand according to that blood that was shed. So our sister sang tonight, it's the blood that will plead for us. Speak for us. But the idea isn't here Abel's blood and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't give that idea in this verse. The idea here is that all the sacrificial animal blood that Abel shed for an atonement before Yahweh God, Almighty God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, we were to come. It says all of the animal blood still could not compare to the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's no blood that compares to his blood. Screen the animal's blood and there's sin in it. The whole earth has fallen. Screen Abel's blood and there's sin in it. It's contaminated. The first mention of the word blood is in Genesis chapter 4, the first murder. But it's not the first shedding of blood. Even Abel's sacrifice in Genesis 4 before that is not the first shedding of blood in the Bible. The first mention of blood shed isn't Abel's, nor is it the blood of a slain animal as Abel had slain it. But we find the first shedding of blood in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21. It says, Unto Adam also and to his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them? God slayed an animal. 
And he took the skin of an animal and he clothed Adam and Eve. Took off the fig apron and he clothed Adam and Eve. God shed the blood. God done the act. God done the deed. God clothed Adam and clothed Eve. God, in other words, covered them. He made an atonement for them. It was all of God. And your salvation tonight is all of God. Sent as lamb, foreordained from before the foundation of the world. That he would bleed and die on a cross of Calvary. That you might be forgiven, covered, washed, cleansed and saved. This is the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. He covered their shame and he covered their nakedness. And it wasn't an offering for sin because the Lord has no sin. But it was an offering for the sinners. It was an offering for the sinners. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Your sin cannot be into remission. We hear of people going through treatment for cancers and the great word they love to hear, and I'm, and I'm, we're glad for them when they do, is we're in remission. Praise God for it. We're in remission. That's the, that's the great word. That's the blessed word, remission. And the Bible says, sinner, without the shedding of blood, you'll never be in remission. That is remission from your sin. Why the shedding of blood, you might say? I remember, I remember a, a friend of mine, and he wasn't long saved. Someone talked about the Lamb of God. He didn't come from a Christian background. He knew nothing about the Gospels. And he says, a lamb? A wee lamb? I said, yes. Yes, that's very cruel. That's wicked. Why would anybody want to shed the blood of a wee lamb? He was more interested in the wee lamb instead of the lamb. And I says, let me tell you something, Mark. And I talked to him about the gospel, the shedding of a lamb's blood. Someone once said that this is known as a slaughterhouse religion. So why the shedding of blood, friend, for you and me tonight? Well, when we shed blood, or in other words, when the Lord has shed blood, let me say, when the Old Testament prophets and the Old Testament patriarchs and Abel shed blood, it was shed uh, to remind us of the horrific nature of our sin. Every time we hear of a lamb slain, it reminds us of the horrific nature of our sin. Every time we hear of the blood shed on the cross of Calvary should remind us of the horrific nature of our sin. Every time we hear of Jesus bearing his cross in our reading should remind us of the horrific nature of our sin. Every time we hear it is for the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul from our text, it should remind us of the horrific nature of our sin. John 19 and verse 18 on our reading, it says, They crucified him. That should remind us of the horrific nature of our sin. Verse 33 says, But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, 
And then later it says, And forthwith there came out blood and water when the Roman soldier pierced his side and there came out the blood and the water. It should remind every one of us of the horrific nature of our sin. It's a stench in the nostrils of God. But the blood of his son is a sweet savor. Every time we read of Isaiah... The prophet saying, he was wounded for our transgressions. And he was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. It should remind us of the horrific nature of our sin. Every time we come around the Lord's table in the morning and we read that the Lord took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Likewise, after the same manner also, he took the cup after supper saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood which is shed for many for the remission of sins. This two years after you drink it in remembrance of me. We should be reminded of the horrific nature of our sin and Jesus paid it all he paid it he says it is finished it's finished he paid our sin he paid our debt past and present and future should remind us of the horrific nature of our sin Isaiah 53 and 7, he has brought us a lamb to the slaughter. Verse 8, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Should remind you and I of the horrific nature of our sin. For he bore it in his own body upon the tree. The sinner needed a substitute. Adam and Eve had sinned. They needed a substitute. They tried to make these aprons to cover their nakedness, to cover their sin and their shame. They needed a substitute. Adam and Eve needed a substitute and God slayed an animal. Abel needed a substitute and he offered the firstling of his flock, we're told. Cain needed a substitute and he brought the work of his hands. He offered that which he grew in the field. He brought the work of his hands. Friend, you need a substitute. I needed a substitute. And God gave his only begotten son, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. He took my place. Bearing shame and scoffing rude. In my place condemned he stood. Seal my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a saviour. He excites me. Bless him. Four things we need to learn. One, in order for a guilty sinner to approach a holy God, they need a suitable covering. Not works of your own hands. Friend, what's your covering before God? Two, the aprons, the apron of fig leaves which their own hands had made were not acceptable to him and neither are yours. Three, God himself must provide the covering for the sinner. And four, that the necessary covering could only be obtained through death. I'm not a bad person. You're probably not, and that's good. I go to church. That's fair. We're glad to see you. 
I do works and charities and I do this, that and the other, but I'm not, I haven't come to Jesus as my personal saviour. And friend, you can say all of these things, you're making an apron to cover your sin. It's not God's covering. Your covering can only be obtained through death. 1 Corinthians 15 and 5 says, Christ died for our sins. Romans 5 and 6 says, Christ died for the ungodly. Imagine that. Christ died for the nice person, the good person, the the charitable character. It says, Christ died for the ungodly. You know who that is? That's me. Listen to Arthur W. Pink again. He says, Cain is the father of the Pharisee who prides himself that he is the superior of the contritious publican and who boasts loudly of his morality and righteousness. He is representative of all who pride themselves that they can in their own strength live a life which is pleasing to God and who can by their own efforts produce that which shall merit divine esteem. Is that you, friend? Do you think you can merit divine esteem by your own efforts? A pharisaical way? Matthew chapter 23, the Lord Jesus, he speaks of murder of the prophets, calls it the blood of the prophets. And in verse 35, he says that the blood of the prophets may come upon all from all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Barachias, whom you slew between the temple and the altar. Verse 36, Verily I say unto you, all these things, or all this punishment, he says to the Pharisees, and to the Sadducees, and to the scribes, he says, all these things shall come upon this generation. Now notice what Jesus said. From righteous Abel, he who offered an atonement for the sin. He who shed the blood as an offering unto God. Right through to Zacharias, he says, and right up to today, he says, you'll even crucify me. And there's eight woes in that chapter. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, he says. But we're the Jewish church. We're the Jewish church leaders. We're the ones with the pump and the ceremony and the guard. We know the Torah and the scriptures, yet they had added the tradition of men and the Babylonian Talmud, which comes straight from the pit of hell. Jesus says, you're bringing judgment. You're bringing judgment here. And after he said that, he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Thou that slayest the prophets, and killest them that are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen doth gather her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, he says, your house is left unto you desolate. And the temple was took down stone by stone by the Romans in AD 70, right to ruin. There's thousands of them crucified around the walls of Jerusalem. See, friend, there were eight woes and one oh. 
Woe unto you. Woe unto you. Woe unto you. And friend, it's time to come out of this period when we're saying, oh, well, I'm not a bad person and I'm fine. Or, or going home and saying, I'll come back next week. It's today if you hear his voice, harder not your heart. What if he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, it's finished. Judgment was to come. I must close. Time has really flown. I'm puffed out. <laughs> Bless the Lord. If you are warm down there, you want to feel it up here. Some think that the Lord to bring a judgment, pronunciation of judgment upon the Jews and upon the Pharisees might seem unjust, but God was just in every way. Our Lord is always just in all his ways. Some people think, oh, you can't let someone go out into eternity and there's no punishment and there's not going to be any uh, damnation for eternity. And, And listen, folks, listen, we hear it on every corner. I think God is like this and he's not like that. Sure, that would be evil and that would be unjust, friend. God has given you the chance, as he did in that day. He came on to his own and his own received him not. Jerusalem, he says. Blood's greeting. The blood of all the prophets was contaminated. The blood of Abel was contaminated. The blood of Cain, he was not Messiah, it was contaminated. The blood of all the righteous from Abel to Zacharias was contaminated. The blood of those that says under the altar would be contaminated, friend. It's all contamination blood. Let me, as I close, look at this blood, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, it's pure blood because Jesus' blood is the blood of God. Acts 20 and verse 28 says, Feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Holy, pure blood. Jesus' blood doesn't have contamination because it doesn't have a shelf life. Remember used to see in the back of the buses, and if you remember, milk has so many days and eggs have so many days and blood has even less days. Contamination sets in. Friend, listen, there's no contamination setting into the blood of Jesus 2,000 years later because in Hebrews 13 and 20 it's called the blood of the everlasting covenant. And thirdly, Jesus' blood is the most precious or costly thing in all, the, all this earth. The most highly valued blood Because in Mark 8, verses 36 and 37, Jesus says, For what shall a profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? In other words, all the riches this world has to afford can't buy your soul, friend. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver and gold from the vain conversation or lifestyle received by the tradition of your fathers. That's the Pharisees. All those who were teaching you wrong. He says, verse 19, But you're bought with the precious blood of Christ, the highly valued precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Fourthly and lastly, the blood of Jesus will not be contaminated for it is precious redeeming blood that cleanse of all of us. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5. The whole throng are crying. 
unto him that hath loved us and washed us from our sin in his own blood. Not in the blood of an animal, not in the blood of a martyr, but in his own blood. See that has washed us or has loved us unto him who hath loved us. The, word, the terms hath loved us is what's known as the present tense. Do you know what it means? Unto him who still loves me. Friend, he still loves you tonight. And washed us from our sins in his own blood. See the word wash gives the idea when you're washing something. You know you steep something and, and something's ground in and it starts to loosen off. Gives the idea of breaking free. In other words, you're, you're entrapped and you're enslaved and you're bound by the sin, the nature that we have from our father Adam. But when we're washed in the blood, we are breaking free from the sins and the chains that bind us and from the handwriting and the ordinances that were against us. They are nailed to his cross. And Christ has paid it all. His redeeming blood. Isaac Watts wrote, Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. But Christ, the heavenly lamb, takes all our sins away. A sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. So much more. I haven't even touched my text yet too. The blood making atonement for the soul. I get carried away. You have to forgive me. I get carried away. The blood maketh an atonement for the soul. Pastor prayed tonight when Israel were coming out of Egypt. He says, Moses slayed a lamb and put the blood on the doorpost and the door lentils. He says, tonight I'm passing through Egypt in judgment. He says, but when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And everywhere where the blood was applied... The Lord passed over. He didn't say, when I see you're an Israelite, I'll pass over. Or when I see you're an Egyptian or an Ethiopian or whoever. He says, when I see the blood. It's only the blood that God recognizes, friend. Just the blood. The blood of Jesus. Here's me getting carried away again. I'm about to preach even more here. And Israel were liberated. You forget me for getting carried away. Sometimes I forget myself. wonder who I am. Bless the Lord. Friend, it's the blood of Christ. Pure and holy and precious. A great screening debate has taken place tonight. Whose blood is worthy? None but the blood of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Sister, come on, sing another one. Time's flown, but sure, what's an issue? You'll only be getting wet. It's probably raining out there. You just can't hear it. The roof maybe used to it. So, <laughs> bless the Lord. And then we'll close. We'll go home. You know something, maybe do another night, not next week, it's Glenn Gormley, Matthew's Youth Choir, you'll enjoy them. Maybe the week after that, I'll see how I'm led, we'll maybe do another one. Preach on the blood. There's nothing like the blood, so there's nothing to get carried away with that. <laughs>